Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump says there is no proof, he admits, there is no proof that terrorists are among the uh, members of the caravan heading toward the United States border. But he said there could very well be fear and lies. That's the mark of the uh, 2018 midterm elections coming from the White House. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Good to see you today on a Wednesday, Wednesday, October 24. We're rolling right along toward the midterms. Less than two weeks, 13 days from today. So good to see you. We've got lots and lots to talk about on many different fronts, and uh, that's why we are here with you to bring you up to date on all the news of the day. We thank you for joining us. Uh, start your day by finding out, finding out what the hell is going on, what the latest is, as I say, on many fronts. Yes, the... Uh, Jamal Khashoggi front in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, where they say the crown prince yesterday, blood on his hands, steps into an international economic summit, gets a standing ovation, forces a meeting with uh, Mr. Khashoggi's family, which was sick, sick, sick. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump basically in the United States is just letting him get away with it. It is disgusting. Meanwhile, here at home, Donald Trump still insists that Congress is going to pass a 10% tax cut for the middle class right after the election. Yeah, hold your breath. If you believe that, you are an idiot. Uh, but, of course, too bad there are a lot of idiots out there, as we discovered uh, in 20, November 2016. Hey, we got lots to talk about and lots that you will want to comment on, so we'll dive right into it. Look forward to hearing from you on Twitter. At BP Show on Twitter. At BP. I haven't seen any tweet from Donald Trump yet this morning, so the coast is clear. Jump in. Uh oh. Uh oh. No, that's not. That's from CNN, not from Donald Trump. Get to it on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the full court press. Yes, Our yes, first yes, meeting number yes, tonight yes. is 28. That's followed by 70. Up next we have five. That's followed by. 
62. And your final wipe off for this Tuesday evening is 65. Now for the Mega Ball. That Mega Ball number is five. There you go. Those are the numbers from the Mega Millions Don't drawing rub last it in. night. Don't I guess rub it, it in. Uh, you're here, so I guess you did not win, Bill. <laughs> I'm really pissed. You know, I, I'm... <laughs> I'm thinking of filing, of uh, uh, hiring Michael Avenatti and filing a lawsuit against yeah. this woman at the Eastern Market who sold me by ticket because she said this was the that winning was the ticket. winning ticket. No, no, no. That's I'm the sorry, only you were I lied bought to. One. You were lied yeah. to. There was a winning ticket last night, and it was sold in the state of South Carolina. <laughs> they have not said what city or what outlet or any other real information about the winner. Did your father buy one? Uh, I don't know yet. I have to talk to my parents see if they bought one. They're, they're in South Carolina. Maybe they did. Yeah. Maybe they did, but yeah. we should know here soon. Uh, not only that, somebody did win the Mega Millions, and they were in South Carolina. 36 tickets match the five white balls. Those are the uh, first five numbers that were called. They will claim a million dollars apiece. They were bought in How many? Se- 36 different Whoa. people won. They were bought yeah. in 17 different states and the District of Columbia, Bill. Yeah. So well, you did, I'm guessing you didn't win that either. No. Well, yeah. I, I would have been happy with that. Yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine dollars, so. Right. There was also a winner in Texas and one in Florida that included the optional uh, Mega Plier. If you, you, I don't know how that works, but those two tickets are worth three million dollars each. No, so. you can. Uh, I'm not sure either. They ask you if you want just a straight ticket or you do the Mega Plier. Uh, I got it down here, Mega Plier. No, because I chose not to. Oh, I you chose not to. So you can, and then yeah. two of the tickets that were sold, they <laughs> did get that, and they uh, they pulled in $3 million each for those winning tickets. Mm. But again, we do have a winner. Uh, it's going to be a pretty significant payout, about $913 million if they take the one-time uh, payout, take which it. you take probably it. should. It. Otherwise, it. right. it's doled out over the course of 29 years. So Mega Millions fever has come to an end here, Bill. We will have we will have someone come forward. And It'll build up again. Not that high though. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. Your chances are actually better when it's smaller. Yeah, it's true. It's true. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, Donald Trump said the Saudi cover-up is the worst cover-up ever. Worse even than Donald Jr.'s cover-up of the meeting at Trump Tower. (laughs) That's how bad it was. (laughs) Hello, everybody. What do you say? No, Donald Trump didn't say that last part. But he did say the first part. Uh, He meant the last part, too. Uh, Hello. Great to see you on a Wednesday. Wednesday, October 24th. It is the Bill Press Show, and here we go, reaching out to you all across this great land of ours. Coast to coast, we are there with you in the great United States of America and around the globe with the news of the day and our progressive outlook on the news of the day and your comments coming along as well on Twitter, at BP Show. Thanks so much for joining us. Again, another busy news day on many different fronts. And we will take a look at all of the big stories of the day. Uh, the latest on the Saudi cover-up, uh, more and more holes in their story. It is just totally unbelievable. Uh, and uh, nothing they say obscures the fact that this was a premeditated, cold-blooded murder of a journalist who lived in the United States writing for the Washington Post and just happened to be critical of the Saudi government, which Crown Prince MBS cannot stand and will not tolerate. And the question remains whether we will do nothing and let him get away with it. 
Uh, meantime, uh, a big World Series game last night, a big Mega Millions drawing, and uh, the caravan. I uh, had a day off yesterday. They were just sort of kicking back and resting their tired feet. Uh, they get on the move again today. They are still about a month and a half from ever getting anywhere close to the U.S. border, uh, which you would never know if you listened to Donald Trump because Donald Trump is out there screaming. I heard him. I, I was walking by the White House last night, and I could hear him hollering from the Truman balcony, the Russians are coming! The Russians are coming! <laughs> oh, he's crazy, crazy. Uh, we want to hear from you about the news of the day on your on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, and we, as we join you online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. As we join you on the radio, how about a WCPT out in Chicago looking good today in Chicagoland, uh, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, and coast to coast on Free Speech TV, the only progressive TV channel in the country, Free Speech TV. Uh, if you've got uh, DirecTV, you're lucky. Watch Free Speech TV. Yes, indeed. Let's get the uh, big stuff out of the way first. Uh, yeah, the Mega Millions. Here it is. Here's my ticket. And uh, I didn't come close. I got one number out of the five, which gets you a pack of gum. <laughs> not even. <laughs> and I didn't get the Mega Millions. But, you know, keep hope alive, right? Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I when I saw I, you come in this morning, I thought, you know oh, no. I had, yeah. Oh, he didn't win. He didn't win. You were waiting for my text last night, right? <laughs> you're in, you're yeah, in charge. You're on your own. You're on your own. <laughs> you're on your own this morning. <laughs> there was one winner. They, we've, there was officially one winner in, Down in, in South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. You know, and it is exciting. At the same time, uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I saw last night a lot of video of people lining up, uh, and particularly, I might say, in the South, and particularly, um, there were people, you could tell, there were people who who didn't have a lot of money to be buying lottery tickets. I saw one guy spent $200 on a lottery ticket. You know, it, 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 it really does appeal to people who really shouldn't be buying lottery tickets. Yeah, right? it's true. It, it, and, it's true. And that's sad. We have and a lot of fun with this. And, yeah, and but yes, there is that down yeah. dark side to it. Totally. You know? And totally. If people are so desperate and in such bad straits that they think they really do believe I do it just as a joke, right? Sure. They believe this is going to be their their ticket. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they put too much money into it, and it it's it's uh, not illegal. Nothing you can do about it, but it's sad. You know, when I was uh, when uh, I was younger, there was no lottery in South Carolina. They they <laughs> wouldn't allow any sort of lottery at all, right? Because you know, gambling, gambling. is immoral. Yeah. Uh, and we lived in Charleston, and it was <laughs> I'd say about an hour and a half or so from. <laughs> Savannah, right? And I used to work with people who would drive, drive to, to Georgia. Some, they would buy, drive to Georgia to go buy these lottery tickets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they were not the type of people that had a ton of money to do this type of I stuff. I saw a lot of people last night from Alabama. Yeah. Pretty sure it was from Alabama driving up to Georgia because Alabama doesn't have the major Sure. Numbers. 44 states do in the District of Columbia. The states that don't, people, people drive. So, yeah. anyhow, my advice is it's fun to play. Buy one ticket. Got to do the chance. <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. Right? Uh, and by somebody was telling, I think Monty was telling us yesterday that most of the winners are people who buy one ticket and just let the machine pick it. Yeah, I mean they're not picking their own numbers. It's very rare that I play the lottery, but when I do, that's how I do it. Right. I, you can't think about it too much. But I just want to know, I haven't given up because the Powerball I think is tonight, and I've got my <laughs> Powerball tickets here. So here we go again. <laughs> that's my backup. Yeah. <laughs> 
And the other big gamble last night was the World Series game. Man, I got to tell you, you know me. I'm not a great big sports fan, but I get into it with the World Series. And I watched uh, maybe the first three, three and a half innings of that game. That was a hell of a game last night. Yeah. Wow. Two great teams and two uh, great pitchers, Chris Sow and that Clayton Kershaw from the they're Dodgers. Both, they're, they're, they're probably the two Phenomenal. best pitchers in baseball. Yeah. I, right. I would say those are the two best pitchers in baseball. Red Sox uh, beat it out there at the end, 8-4. to four, But, you know, so they start out, got two runs. The Dodgers came back with a run. Then the Dodgers It was came close back. until the seventh inning. Yeah. and then It was uh, essentially tied until that, the seventh inning. Whoever was hit that, uh, Eduardo Nunez. Nunez, uh, yeah. yeah. A pinch hitter. Pinch Again, hitter. they talk about the, the sort of magic that this manager for the Red Sox has, Alex Cora. Who, by the way, could have and should have been the Nationals manager this season. Uh, but he's had a great season. Yeah, I mean, they, they're they yeah. the best team in baseball. Yeah. They had the best record in baseball. They played the best, uh, uh, better better game than anybody else all season long. And he gambled. He put in this pinch hitter. Two yeah. outs. Bottom of the seventh. Boom. Yeah. Three-run homer. But cracks the game and wide open. playing that at Fenway Park, I mean, the crowd was just. Oh, my God. God. Yeah. You can feel it coming. You feel the excitement, right, coming <laughs> Yeah, coming through the radiating through the, radiating through, through the tube. Yeah, uh, so uh, off to good side. What their second game? I don't know how it works. Do they play in Boston? Or uh, yeah, they'll play in Boston. I believe it's tomorrow. Again? I'll have to double check the schedule. I'll have that story for you coming up in the next hour of the program. I must say, Clayton Kershaw has the weirdest windup. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? I've ever he he, he like he I can't describe. He goes to the windup. And then it looks like he puts his foot at leg, foot down as if he stops, and then he throws a ball. Yeah, it's kind of it's so weird. And Chris Sale has a similar. No, no, he's not the same as Kershaw, but like they're very unconventional pitchers. But both of them can just fling that ball. Did you see the footage of Kershaw warming up uh, mm. the day before? So he warmed up the day before, <laughs> but he did it without a baseball. So he's like mm. pitching without a baseball, just like to go through the mechanics of his pitch. Uh, which is weird to watch, but they had some footage of it yesterday during the broadcast. Who do you think that would throw you off? You'd think, right? Yeah. Well, well maybe it did. They didn't win last night. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, yes, indeed, on the uh, – oh, there's so much happening still on the Jamako Shaggy front. Uh, disgusting in uh, to see the scene in Saudi Arabia where you would think nothing happened. Uh, so this economic summit – uh, that uh, some, 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 not enough of our U.S. Uh, executives pulled out of after uh, the word of the murder of Khashoggi came out. Uh, but yet so many of them showed up at this economic summit and despite that. Uh, and the crown prince himself walked in yesterday. By the way, just the image of that glitzy, over-the-top ballroom at the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh is disgusting. And they're all sitting there, and the crown prince walks in. Here he is. The cold-blooded murderer gets a standing ovation from these business leaders, a lot of them American business leaders. Shame on them. They didn't stand for anything other than strictly uh, the bottom line, making a deal with the devil. Uh, and the other thing was discussing, I thought, was that, and you know this was ordered, uh, that the family had no choice, but the king and the crown prince meeting with the family led by the son of Jamal Khashoggi, a young man who, by the way, has not been allowed to leave the country. His visa was taken away from him by the crown prince. Not allowed to leave the country, 
because of his father's writings. And despite that, uh, they had the TV cameras there to get a picture of the crown prince shaking hand with his son and allegedly or supposedly offering his condolences. Sick, sick, sick. Uh, meanwhile, what's the United States doing? Nah, nothing. Uh, Donald Trump did say yesterday, he finally said that, uh, um, you know, this... Now, it, <laughs> it's curious. He doesn't exactly condemn what happened. He he. It sounds like, this is in the Oval Office yesterday talking to reporters, it sounds like he's just condemning the way they did it. They certainly did a bad job of execution, and they certainly did a bad job of talking about it or covering it up, if you'd like to say that. But I would say it was a total fiasco. Now, what does he mean they did a bad job at the execution? Meaning they could have killed him cleaner? Or they could have killed him and not left any fingerprints? I was so lost when he was talking about this. It is kind of a weird use of words, right? Yeah. So they botched the execution and they botched uh, the cover-up. In fact, uh, he goes on uh, by saying, basically making the same point, this cover-up was just no good. The execution was no good. There it is. And the cover-up, if you want to call it that, was certainly no good. Oh, the cover-up was no good. In fact, he said it was the worst cover-up ever. Uh, And by the way, when Donald Trump says this is the worst cover-up ever, you know it's a bad cover-up, right? Because Donald Trump knows about bad cover-ups. How many, I mean, seriously, what about the cover-up for the famous July 6th meeting at Trump Tower with the Russian lawyers who came in to lay dirt on Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump himself, we now know Donald Trump himself, wrote the cover-up, wrote the memo that went to the New York Times saying this was a meeting about adoption, not about the campaign, not about getting Donald Hillary Clinton. So this man knows about bad cover-ups. And when he says you got the worst cover-up ever, that's really like being called ugly by a frog. <laughs> you really screwed up, man. It really is, right? You know. So, But that's the, that's the toughest thing. He had to say about it, and then he was asked, well, kind of, what are you going to do about it? And now Donald Trump says, well, we're going to leave that up to Congress. Oh, yeah, because Congress has shown such backbone over the last year and a half. But you notice, I'm telling you, we've said this every day this week. Here's what's going on. They're running out the clock. They're, run- they're going to say some bad things. I mean, Mike Pompeo yesterday said, oh, we are make- taking strong action. Uh, in fact, here's Mike Pompeo making his big announcement yesterday. We are taking appropriate actions, which include revoking visas, entering visa lookouts, and other measures. Wait a minute. So they revoked the visas for the 18 people that the Saudis have already arrested. They're in jail. Cool. Great. They're in jail. They're not going anywhere. And we're revoking their visas? That's a joke. That's that's the most that we've done. Most that we've done. Uh, and so again, what they're doing is they want to run out the clock, so this will go away. Uh, and the Saudis have already done that, and Donald Trump is very quick to do that. Mark my word, there will be not one, not one punitive action taken by the Trump administration against the Saudis for the murder of a man who was living in the United States of America, a journalist who was writing critical articles about the Saudis. And we won't do it because Donald Trump himself is so beholden to the Saudis for his own personal wealth and because he's made this a big arm steel, which he exaggerates all the time with the Saudis, that he doesn't want to screw up. 
And as Joe Cirincione mentioned to us yesterday, uh, the Saudis are very much a part of his plan, basically, to declare war against Iran and make Iran the new world enemy uh, and direct them and make that the centerpiece of our foreign policy. Um, let's just let's just pray that other countries will not let uh, the United States get away with it. They will take the lead and will not cave to the Saudis the way that we have. Uh, the other big issue that, of course, Donald Trump is so concerned about is that caravan. Yes, the caravan is still heading toward the United States, and Donald Trump still uh, insisting that this caravan is full of people who are uh, coming here to basically undermine, attack the United States, terrorists, Middle Easterners, whatever, uh, even members of ISIS. They've intercepted a lot of different people, but among the people they've intercepted very recently are people from the Middle East, okay? Uh, so you can't be surprised when you hear it. You've heard that before. It happens all the time. Now, first of all, as we said yesterday, people from the Middle East are not necessarily right. terrorists. He's just dropped this whole terrorist thing. Right. He's just saying Middle East. They're, they're not. So all Middle Easterners are, according to him, just like all Mexicans, all Mexicans are members of MS-13. All people from anywhere in the Middle East are members of ISIS or some other terrorist group. I mean, that's that's Donald Trump's assertion. And so reporters pushed him on it, you know, like kind of, like what evidence? Remember a couple of days ago he told a TV reporter, just go down there, take your camera in the middle of the crowd, and you'll find him. I mean, in other words, he has zero, zero evidence. That you, you might as well say that these people, if I asserted right now that these people, 7,200 of them last count, are coming up here as the, Advanced troops for Nikki Haley's 2020 presidential campaign. You can believe that as much as you can believe anything Donald Trump says about ISIS, right? Make it up. That's what he does. Just make it up. So, he, so they ask him, I pushed him yesterday uh, again, um, what evidence do you have? And he basically admits he doesn't have any. I think there's a very good chance, honestly, that, that you have... Uh, people in there. I also think there's a very good chance that over a course of a period of time you have, or they don't have to necessarily be in that group. But certainly you have people coming up through the southern border, from the Middle East, and other places that are not appropriate for our country. That's stunning. I think there's a very good... This is his proof. Yeah. I think there's a very good chance. I think there's a very good chance... Is that fact now? No. We have to take that as fact now? And that's what we're basing this whole fear tactic, this whole scare on? I think there's a very I good chance there's that there's a possibility. Chance. Right. And he further admitted yesterday, he said at one point, I, I don't have any proof, but it could very well be. It's the same thing. I don't have any proof at all. He admitted that. But he said... It could very well be. And then he's, while he's in the Oval Office, he's got dumbass Mike Pence standing alongside of him. Mike Pence, who is still spreading the word that these families coming up here for better life for their kids, fleeing poverty. I saw a little story in the Washington Post this morning, for example, classic. And the thing is, how, how did this caravan get started, right? Um, 
It was started, actually, they've d- identified the guy who, who was the organizer of it down in Honduras, uh, a lawmaker down there by the name of Bartolo Fuentes. And he had this idea because there were so many people like this one family. This, this family, they had started a little taco stand. And they're in business just like a week. And some gang members in Honduras came up to them and said, 50% of your profits or we'll burn you down. You know, what do they do? They Then they heard, hey, there's this group of people that are organizing to go toward the United States. And this Fuentes, Bartolo Fuentes, got these people together and said, you're safer if you go in bigger numbers. So these guys walked out of their taco stand, joined this group. That's 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 the motivation for these people. Not according to Mike Pence. According to Mike Pence, they're paid for by leftists and Venezuela and maybe even George Soros. The caravan that's now making its way uh, through Mexico <laughs> headed for the southern border was organized by leftist organizations and Mm-mm. financed uh, by Venezuela. Dumbass. Um, and uh, we, uh, as, as we've said... And the uh, Democrats, maybe? Oh! The Democrats. Well... Oh. I mean, it's almost like that's a, a bridge too far for Mike Pence. Even. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just word salad, too. Caravan, southern border... Uh, <laughs> leftist, Venezuela. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, with a bigger dumbass raises his hand, right? Between the two of them. Uh, and Pence also, yesterday at the Washington Post, um, he was in some panel, he made the comment that it was inconceivable, inconceivable that there were not terrorists among these, on this caravan. No, it's not. It's really inconceivable that there are, if anything, right? But, I mean, Pence just, just joining in, and, of course, Donald Trump. We're going to prove someday, he says, that Democrats are behind this. Yeah, if Democrats only were that organized, <clears throat> which, of course, they never are. Uh, one other issue last night is uh, yesterday, rather, that Donald Trump got into. At the rally the night before down in Texas— when he was down there helping out Lion Ted. Oh, I'm sorry. Beautiful Ted. Beautiful Ted. Texas Ted. God. <laughs> How 2016 of me to call yeah. him Lion Ted. Uh, he'll call him Beautiful uh, Ted now. <laughs> Folks. He'll always be Lion Ted to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, when he was down there with Beautiful Ted, he, uh, he made a big point of the fact that he was proud to be a nationalist. A globalist is a person that wants the globe to do well, frankly, not caring about our country so much. And you know what? We can't have that. You know, they have a word. It sort of became old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. And I say, really, we're not supposed to use that word. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? I'm a nationalist. National. Nothing. Use that word. Use that word. Yeah, as if the crowd cheering knows anything anything at all about uh, the history of that word and what it all means. Uh, yesterday, we'll get to a comment on that in a second, but yesterday in the Oval Office, he uh, doubled down. Damn right I'm a nationalist. Call me a nationalist if you'd like, but I don't want companies leaving. I don't want them firing all their people, going to another country, making a product, sending it into our country tax-free, no charge, no tariff, no nothing. And in the meantime, we end up with empty plants, unemployment all over the place. We end up with nothing. You know, 
So Donald Trump is just playing with words here. Look, a glo- first of all, a globalist is not somebody who believes in the globe but doesn't believe in the United States. That's BS. I mean, what a globalist is, an American who realizes that we can't solve all of the problems of the world alone, that there are a lot of problems. Let's mention climate change. Uh, how about this economy that we live in today, uh, which is really a global economy? How about a world poverty? How about um, diseases that cross international borders? You can go on and on and on. These are not, these are, how, about, how about nuclear weapons, world peace? These are not issues that the United States can, can draw within our borders and pretend that none of this is going to happen. So Globus is a realist who realizes we have to work with other countries in solving uh, pro- mutual problems. And this nationalist word, you know what the word missing when Donald Trump uses it? Because what it is is it evokes, it evokes the memory and the connotation of the white nationalists, the same people that he defended down in Charlottesville. It just, it's just, just like Donald Trump using the phrase America first to sum up his foreign policy, which, of course, has all the echoes of the American first movement which was American businessmen who were doing business deals, just like people are doing it today with Saudi Arabia. I'm not comparing them to Nazi Germany, but the phrase America first was American business leaders led by people like Joe Kennedy and Henry Ford who were doing business deals with Nazi Germany and did not want the United States to intervene in any way in World War II. They were Nazi sympathizers. They were Hitler, some of them, Ford went over there and met with Hitler. And their, their motto and their organization, they ran under the battle of America first, America first. And that's exactly what Donald Trump, I mean, all of that evokes today. So when he uses these phrase nationalists, he uses this phrase America first, it takes us back to uh, a very isolated, very dangerous time uh, in American history, which we do not want to repeat. Hey, uh, we mentioned uh, yesterday a big debate between Andrew Gillum and... Uh, uh, Ron DeSantis down in Florida. Another big debate last night in the Georgia governor's race between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp accused her of uh, wanting to take health care away from families. She fires back. Unfortunately, my opponent, Mr. Kemp, does not have a plan for health care other than saying trust your insurance companies. He has said that he will protect pre-existing conditions. However, his, per- his previous record shows that he's voted against those protections. And Stacey Abrams uh, really went after Brian Kemp on voter suppression, pointing out that more people in Georgia have lost the right to vote, lost the opportunity to vote under Brian Kemp than any other secretary of state. And she once again demanded that he should step down as secretary of state because he had he first of all, because he's running in an election that there's a clear conflict between running in that election and overseeing that election and because he has refused to certify some 50,000 people in Georgia who did register, but Brian Kemp says there are a little, a little technical problems with their registration, and he will not uh, give them the right to vote, uh, certify them so they can vote in this election. Very, very, again, it's hard to say which one is more important, the Florida governor's race, Georgia's governor's race. Both of them are extremely important. You know, it's really interesting to see the health care stuff like come on oh, the yeah. stage here. Yeah, uh, Republicans are caught with their pants down. On this they really because are. They are out. They've got a bill in there to 
do away with the protection for people with pre-existing conditions. They regardless of what, deny it. Regardless of what they tell you, right? Because right. they're trying yeah. to tell you that they're not going to, but they absolutely will. There was a tweet earlier this week that sort of took off from Paul Ryan, who is <coughs> sadly, Bill, not going to be around. Oh, isn't that too bad? November. Yeah, but Randy Bryce will be. Yes, he will. Iron stash. Uh, but Paul Ryan put out a tweet that says, single-payer government-run health care would essentially destroy and obliterate the private health insurance system that employer-sponsored health insurance system. And, oh, and by the way, Medicare as we know it. Um, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me, actually. Like, Paul Ryan is supposed to, like, whip up fears and trying to make people feel scared that this might be what's coming, but yeah. sounds I, pretty damn good to me. I think getting the insurance companies out of the business would be great Hell first yeah. step. Right. Uh, and one little footnote on uh, before we take a quick break here. One other footnote on the Florida governor's race. New poll out this morning. I think it was on Political. I saw where uh, Andrew Gillum is up six points over Ron DeSantis, fifty-two to forty-six. Great, great, exciting campaign Keep down it up, there man. in Florida. Keep it, Keep it up, indeed. Uh, more on that caravan. Let's find out exactly who's behind it, who's in it, what threat it might face, and what the issues really are with the. Uh, immigration reporter for Huffington Post, Elise Foley, joining us next year in studio, The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. How about it? On a Wednesday, October 24. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you. Good to have you with us today uh, as we come out to you from our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. Uh, those are five unions that all got together. They call themselves now the Smart Union under President Joseph Sellers, giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay uh, every day. You can ima- you you can bet at the Smart Union. Their website is smart-union.org. Check it out, and we thank them for their support of the program. Uh, Elise Foley covers political and particularly immigration issues for HuffPost, joining us in studio. I remember when we used to call it Huffington Post. I know. I was just thinking you got it right. I know. Nice to see you. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you for coming in. Uh, We've been at it for a a little bit here. We always like to catch up with uh, our viewers and listeners before we move on. Peter? Yes, indeed. Uh, Lots of comments (laughs) on Twitter where we're tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. A couple of comments. Uh, first of all, from Luna says, we need tariffs because, quote, there's unemployment all over the place, which is what Donald Trump says. I thought it was the lowest that it's been in 100 years. Maybe not. Uh, also, Mike Pence saying that Venezuela is funding the caravan. Sci Guy says, at the moment, Venezuela can't even fund a cup of coffee from Starbucks. <laughs> they have no hard currency. They're flat broke. So it's kind of inconceivable to think that they would fund Excellent a point. caravan. Uh, KG, again, uh, chiming in, saying that Donald Trump is trying to run the U.S. like a company. It's not working out very well. I hope he doesn't run like any of his companies. God help us. That went bankrupt. And Phil, on the, on the uh, again, about the caravans where Donald Trump <laughs> says, I think there's a good chance that there are ISIS in the, ca- that there's ISIS in the caravan. Uh, Phil says, a wise person once said that everything after the word but is BS. Uh-huh. If you have a comment, find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Well, also, when you're talking about uh, getting down to the facts, anything after I think, <laughs> yeah, right, is usually BS. So at least let's start right there. Donald Trump yesterday telling reporters um, that he didn't really have any evidence, but he thought 
He thinks, right? He thinks there's a very good chance. They've intercepted a lot of different people, but among the people intercepted very recently are people from the Middle East, okay? Uh, so you can't be surprised when you hear it. You've heard that before. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And again, here's <coughs> the press reporters pressed him for evidence, and here's the extent of his evidence. I think there's a very good chance, honestly, that, that you have uh, people in there. I also think there's a very good chance that over a course of a period of time you have, or they don't have to necessarily be in that group. But certainly you have people coming up through the southern border, from the Middle East, and other places that are not appropriate for our country. So I think there's a very good chance. What's, what's, the, what's the truth about this, Caravan? Well, it's been interesting. They've been really the White House and the entire administration has been kind of doing their best to, you know, justify after the fact the president making this claim. And it's not untrue that some people from the Middle East do come uh, and are apprehended at the southern border. But it's it's very, very low numbers. I mean, the vast, vast majority of people are from Central America or from Mexico. And so. But let's talk about the people from the Middle East. These are all members of ISIS, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, that's the smear, right? He says Middle East and he means terrorists. It means any country in the Middle East is full of terrorists. And anybody from the Middle East is a terrorist. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, coming from the Middle East, you could be a totally legitimate asylum seeker. No. (laughs) It's worth saying, I think. Uh, The other statistic they kind of trotted out was the fact that Customs and Border Protection uh, stops an average, they say, of 10 people a day from entering the country. If you actually press them on that, they admit that a lot of those are by air. So that's, you know, preventing people from flying here. That uh, Mike Pence... Right. Uh, those 10 people, right. It, that, th- these are not, not people stopped at the border. At the southern some border, of them are, right. Some of them are. Some of them are, but they could be at JFK or mm-hmm. at LAX or at Dulles or whatever. And when pressed on, okay, how many uh, <laughs> fit which category, they won't say... I don't know why that is exactly, but, um, you know, in in other stats, it's usually they're blocking people mostly by air. So Mike Pence yesterday, uh, you know, said that it's, you know, use that same stat, the 10, and said it's at the mm-hmm. southern border. That's absolutely untrue. Um, and they are uh, just spreading this to say that the caravan is dangerous um, at the same time that they're spreading that, you know, the caravan making it sound like everyone in the caravan, thousands of people, is definitely, you know, are definitely going to cross the border illegally. They have no evidence that that's true. Um, Certainly some people do cross the border illegally all the time. People are doing that all the time. Um, But, uh, you know, from news reports, a lot of these people are coming seeking asylum. They very well may not get it. Um, but they are being, you know, prejudged as future border crossers and future fraudulent asylum seekers. The numbers that I saw yesterday uh, on the last caravan, which was in April, uh, were roughly that 1,500 people were in the caravan uh, and made it to the border, I guess. Maybe there might have been more people in the caravan made it, of, of whom 250 actually filed for asylum of whom three were granted asylum. So we're not talking about massive hordes of people 
getting yeah. into the country. So right? the the way um, the administration had a call these yesterday. These are coming as refugees, which, right? They're coming people. Yeah, I mean, it's, we don't know. Some of them are probably right. coming for economic reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are coming seeking asylum. The administration had a call yesterday where they refused to talk by name, but they did make this case that the problem is that these people maybe are families coming and saying that they're seeking safety, but they're probably, you know, lying about their circumstances and they don't deserve asylum. And now we have to let them in and let them seek asylum. This is such a bad thing. And they all throw out this stat that most people don't get asylum as proof that most people are lying. It's not necessarily true. It's just not that easy to get asylum. The Trump administration has made it harder. That doesn't mean that people are lying about their circumstances and that they shouldn't, under the law and international law, be able to seek asylum. But they use that as a way of saying, well, obviously, it stands to reason that some of, you know, a lot of these people are liars. Right. Same as they say, oh, it stands to reason that a lot of these people are from the Middle East or might be terrorists. So um, uh, Pence also said yesterday, the vice president, that the caravan was organized by uh, leftist organizations in Honduras and paid for by Venezuela. Right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Again, there is a, a what, what, what's what are the facts? <laughs> <laughs> there is a really good story in The Washington Post about sort of the origins of the caravan. And it's today. interesting. Yeah, yeah, today. Front page, right. Yeah. And it, it's kind of unclear what the exact origins are in terms of how it got so big. There are uh, organizers who sort of have admitted putting it together. There's a group that has helped coordinate it, like they helped coordinate caravans in the past. But exactly how it got so big sounds like it's kind of a matter of word of mouth. People say, oh, this is coming. I guess I should hop on Yeah, in a metaphorical sense. In in terms of the language, uh, a group of of people – who are help willing to help immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. That means they're leftist, right? Exactly, right. Yeah, it could very well be, and in many cases, it is a Christian church or a Catholic church or the Cardinal of Los Angeles, right? But right. For Mike Pence, it's just leftist organization. Exactly. If any you immigrant show any compassion group. for anybody, a person of color, particularly from another country, who's fleeing. Persecution. You, then, if you if you show any compassion for that person, you are automatically an extreme leftist, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in who their has mind. who has no respect, according to them, for the sovereignty of this country? Is trying to you know overwhelm it with people. They apply these very sinister motives to anybody who would uh, dare to support asylum seekers in any way, or sanctuary cities, or whatever. So, and then where's the money for it coming from? I I mean. Somebody's got to be paying, paying, buying the gas for these trucks. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are uh, immigrant rights groups who support, like, helping these people along. A lot of people are spending a lot of their own money to do this. And, you know, a lot of people save for many years to try and make the trip to the U.S., uh, even though they might not get in. It's kind of interesting. The administration is, you know, one of the one of the... Main culprits of spreading the idea that you can just come to the U.S. and get in and you get to stay. They insist that that's true when it's it's really not true even now. Um, so, you know, people people pay their own money to do it in addition to getting some help with the coordination. Uh, Democratic Party not behind it? 
<laughs> Not that I know of. <laughs> Venezuela, they've offered no evidence that Venezuela is behind it either. George Pence Soros. said that, uh, you know, the president of Honduras told him that. We have no evidence whether that's true or untrue. Whether the president did, in fact, say that, that very, doesn't mean it's true either. So let's assume that um, half of these people, some of these people stay in Mexico, I guess. Some will go back home, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, some have already sought asylum in Mexico. Uh, let's assume, I don't know, half of them or whatever, whatever number come up to the United States. What's the process for once they get to the border? Well, so the the so-called the right way to do it, uh, the legal way, would be to go to a port of entry and say, uh, I am afraid of returning to my home country. I would like to seek asylum in the U.S. Uh, according to the administration, people get coached to say that. Um, I, I think the the Truth would probably be closer to people get encouraged to, you know, state it in a way that would be effective, not encouraged to lie, but like, you know, explain to them like what the laws are. But they go to a port of entry, they say that, uh, and then they get to move through this process that involves uh, seeing whether their claim is credible, both by an asylum officer and then potentially eventually by a judge. Uh, the problem is that a lot of people don't get to even approach that port of entry for days or weeks, end up sitting and waiting in Mexico, which is not, you know, parts of it are very safe, parts of it aren't. And mm-hmm. so they can be in a lot of danger sometimes while they're waiting. Uh, that has happened already with uh, what they call metering the government, uh, where they only let a certain number per day uh, seek asylum. So. According to advocacy groups, that has encouraged more people to just go ahead and try and cross illegally. A lot of people who do cross illegally, who are asylum seekers, end up going and trying to find a border patrol agent and turn themselves in. So even the administration has admitted that this is not a big problem necessarily of people not being able to be apprehended. It's that they're not able to deport them as quickly as they would like to once they do. Right. Uh, Let's just uh, uh, accept that the whole threat that, that Donald Trump is trying to manufacture is not real. Um, uh, and he's doing it, obviously, for political purposes, uh, as he did in 2016 when he first started running for for uh, for, for the presidency. Um, meanwhile, we've lost track of uh, children at the border. I mean, as if this problem has gone away, right? Uh, yeah. Immigrant children being held in these detention centers or cages or tent cities or whatever. What's happening on that front? Yeah, so there are um, a very large number of kids coming unaccompanied, so that means without a parent. And there's a certain process for what the government has to do with those kids, especially if they're from countries other than Mexico. If we're saying kids were... We're talking up to 18. Up to 18, yeah. Um, And so those uh, people can't be deported very quickly, necessarily, and the point of that is laws that are to prevent trafficking. So they want, you know, some time to make sure that they are uh, haven't been exploited in some way, and then they're ending up in these facilities run by HHS. And the problem right now is that they've created these standards um, and these requirements for vetting sponsors that people are afraid to come forward and say, "I would like to pick up my." my child or my niece or nephew, um, my grandchild, things like that. 
And they're ending up stuck in these facilities for massive amounts of time. Even if people do go, sponsors do come forward, their kids are not being released to them very quickly because they uh, have to do all this fingerprint analysis for everybody in the house. And it's just taking a lot of time. And it's leading to kids being held for very lengthy periods. Do we know how many are being held? Uh, the number is pretty big. I'm um, not sure of what it is exactly now, but I believe it was around twelve or 13,000. Whoa. Really? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a really large number, and it's really overwhelming the system. And I think it's... Being, um, how, and this is this big tent city or tent uh, Partially cities? in this in this, these tent cities, um, which are supposedly mostly being used for people who are only going to be there fairly temporarily. Uh, the question is how long they will end up in those Are they getting cities. any education while they're there? They're getting workbooks that they can use or not use. <laughs> so, no, they're not. They're not, and... Um, they're getting, you know, supposedly I've spoken to people who've gone and toured them. They said that they look okay. They're not, you know, it's not a, a tent like from REI. It's like a big, you know, <laughs> fake building. Yeah. Um, but it's not where anybody would want teenagers to be living for weeks and weeks. Uh, and, and, and again, um, we sort of have lost track of that, right? And and yeah, they kind of, uh, everybody was focused on that. And then now everybody's really focused on the caravan. I think the president wants people to be really focused on the sure. caravan. And oh, then yeah. that's how that works, right? Like the president talks about it and then the media covers it obsessively and then helps kind of spread the president's uh, fear about it. Uh, but yeah, the the kids issue, I think, has been really uh, Yes, yeah. I mean, clearly Donald Trump is trying to make the midterms uh, a, a, a a vote on the caravan, right? Or yeah, on absolutely. immigration broadly. Yeah, right. and the, the administration official yesterday, uh, who again refused to be quoted by name, um, was saying, okay, Democrats are the party that doesn't care about the sovereignty of the U.S. This is what they want. They want the caravan. They want people to come illegally. They Open borders. They want open borders. Republicans are the party that wants to change the law so that we can deport people quicker get rid of these kids quicker, et cetera. So they're making it a really you know, set choice. Do you want our country to be overrun by scary people or do you want safety and uh, national sovereignty when really it's obviously <laughs> that that's not how the lines are actually drawn? Uh, well, that's the other message. aspect of this that we've totally lost track of, which at one time was issue numero uno, was a dreamers program. Yeah, Which totally is just forgotten. sort of out there in limbo, right? Totally forgotten. Not fixed. Not fixed. Uh, there's um, not, well, obviously not before the election at this point. Um, and it's in a less stable position, I think, than people realize. There's this legal challenge in Texas, and it's not clear whether, you know, this, the judge will side with the states who want uh, a block on the program if that happened, there are other, you know, court rulings keeping the program open. So it's kind of unclear what would happen. It would likely stay open, but then have to go to the Supreme Court. It's unclear what the Supreme Court would do. So the dreamers are not in a particularly safe position. But, yeah, have been have been kind of forgotten. And, and until it's resolved, they are um, at least at risk of deportation. Yeah, I mean, until it's resolved in a permanent way. They've, they've got these temporary protections still. 
But that is far from, you know, a permanent protection like the one that was, you know, the Senate passed back in mm-hmm. 2013. The House refused to take up. Uh, they're in a you know perilous position for sure. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you also, there's this flap on now uh, going on now re- related to the Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross, whom we seldom hear from because most of the time he's asleep. Um, and not on the job, but he um, ordered a new question added to the census, uh, asking people if they are legal citizens, right? Right. Uh, which has not been on the on the census before, and some people believe, as do I, that if you're asking that question, you're asking that with the intention, of course, of helping ICE or whatever uh, track down people and deport them, which is not the job of the census, which is to find out just simply how many people are living here in any particular place, correct? Right. So there was or, a lawsuit yeah. to, to against uh, Wilbur Ross for his motivation behind this, basically trying to get that question off the census. And I saw the Supreme Court this year jumped in, uh, this week jumped into this and said, no, you can't ask Wilbur Ross why he put that question on there. Why not? Why why can't we ask any cabinet secretary the motivation or the reasoning behind an action they take? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I mean, I think that the issue is that he, the <laughs> I mean, administration has already... Did I explain it correctly? I mean, yeah, I think happened? so. Uh, I think the, the concern is that people won't um, you know, not as many people will answer uh, the census, and then you'll or get a lie. Yeah, and then you'll get a disrepresentative. Yeah, uh, numbers that won't work correctly to uh, allocate money and all of that. Um, I think that the reason that they don't want to go ha- have a deposition for it is that the administration has already been. Um, caught changing their story about why the question was added. So there was... Why um, did they say it was added? Well, first they said it was added just to, I believe, just get an accurate count. Their their uh, message is always, oh, well, we're just trying to do accuracy. We just want the numbers to be right. But there's this whole... Um, this guarantees inaccuracy, seems to yeah, me. It's just the Yeah, and, and there's this whole... Will, will, uh, you know, lie or not participate. Yeah, changing story about who had the idea originally, <laughs> because if the idea originally came from, you know, certain people, it's more likely that they were like doing the it. Like the Secretary of State of Kansas. Exactly. It's different um, than if it came from, you know, some government bureaucrats just trying to make the census more accurate, et cetera. So it's, um, I think, I think anytime a public official doesn't want to answer for a decision that they made, that should be concerning to people. And as you point out, there's so much uh, the census, right, first of all, of getting an accurate count. But the other thing is there are tons of government programs um, that are the funding for which is determined by the census. Right. And so whether it's money going for public transportation or for health care or for whatever, right, of public safety, police and fire protection, uh, uh, federal assistance, it's based on the number of people that should be served. If you've undercounted the number of people, these cities, states, cities, and counties are going to get underfunded. Right, and that's why these a lot of these states join this lawsuit and are fighting it because of that. Because, uh, you know, undocumented people don't get most government benefits, but a lot of them might have U.S. citizen children who do, 
Obviously, the police don't, you know, the fire department doesn't ask your immigration yeah. status before they help you out of your house. Right. Uh, so right. these uh, transportation people who are undocumented, you know, need to ride roads. It's it's important to have an accurate count and um, trying to dissuade people from answering the door if they're undocumented is not a good way to get an accurate No, account. that's a population that these agencies and these departments, I'm thinking, again, of the fire departments, have to serve, right? They need, they need to know. Yeah. yeah. They need to know how many people are there. So um, is that the end of this and the, with the, the Supreme the Court? I don't the, believe so. I think um, they just said you got to go back and I don't know. Yeah, they, they have to uh, do something. I'm forgetting the exact number of days, but it's not the end of it. It's still possible that... They'll change their mind. All right. So, Wilbur Ross, just better wake up again from your nap and get ready to deal with this again in a couple of weeks if you don't have to deal with it already. Uh, at least a lot going on on this, and uh, it's good to get a, get the facts out about this caravan. Uh, that's the big scare tactic now of Donald Trump. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. You can follow Elise, of course, and all of our good friends over at HuffPost at HuffPost.com. John Allen, NBC News, joins us next. This, this is a friend of Bill. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is the worst cover-up ever, says Donald Trump. It was even worse cover-up than Donald Jr.'s cover-up of the Trump Tower meeting with those Russian operatives. <laughs> hey, hello, everybody. That's how bad it was. It is a Wednesday, Wednesday, October 23rd. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you. It's The Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital. In our studio right here on Capitol Hill, in the heart of the action. Well, when there's any action on Capitol Hill, not so much action here. All the action is down at the White House and around the country. And tonight it's out in Wisconsin where the president is going off for yet one more campaign rally. The uh, 2020 campaign is well underway. And sometimes there's even a mention of the 2018 midterms. John Allen is on his way to Wisconsin. Stops by the studio first here. Uh, to bring us up to date from NBC News, good to see you, friend. Good to be here. Yeah. Good to uh, see you. Are you excited about tonight? I am. Uh, I'm a little concerned. Because Don't you know the speech by now? You know, there's always a wrinkle, Bill. <laughs> uh, and I think over time there's been um, uh, sort of an evolution, uh, number one, in terms of the emphasis of uh, what he's trying to scare voters about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a couple weeks yeah. ago it was impeachment. Uh, now it's this caravan. Uh, for a while it was Kavanaugh. Um, and so you, you sort of follow the ramping up of yeah. uh, sort of fear as a political tool. Hmm. Right. But it, it certainly was caravan in Texas and probably will be in Wisconsin, too. Yeah, I imagine so. Basically, 
the northern border Unless states it's... seem to have a lot of fear of uh, undocumented immigrants. <laughs> Coming from the southern border. Yeah, I mean, yeah. or let's put weird. it this way. There's no, there's no direct correlation uh, uh, between the proximity of a state to the U.S.-Mexico border and, and right. the conservative population's uh, uneasiness with undocumented immigrants or fear that the rule of law is being broken. So there we go. Lots and lots to talk about and lots you want to comment on uh, and do so, please, on Twitter. Let's hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, we will get jump right into it with John Allen and all of you. But first, got to give it to this Peter. is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, all throughout the baseball playoffs, Eduardo Nunez for the Boston Red Sox uh-huh. had started at third base when a left-handed pitcher was going to pitch. Well, that was not the case last night, despite the fact that Clayton Kershaw, a lefty, was pitching. Manager Alex Cora saved him for a pinch-hitting situation where there were two outs in the seventh inning, and here comes Eduardo Nunez. Check of the runners, the 1-0. Mm-hmm. Nunez swings it, drives one to left, high and deep by the wall. Gone! Three-run pitch over Eduardo Nunez. Can you believe it? And the Red Sox lead it 8-4. to four. That made it 8-4, to four, which would be the final score of Game 1 of the World Series as the Boston Red Sox defeated the Los Angeles It was close Dodgers. up to that point. Up, up until that point, it was a very Back close forth, game. Yeah. It was, but it was, it was, the, bo- it was the bottom of the seventh inning when they just cracked it wide open. Uh, again, I have to mention this. Manager of the Boston Red Sox, Alex Cora, should be the manager for the Washington Nationals. But he's with the Boston Red Sox, and he's doing quite well. Quite well for himself. Don't rub it in. <laughs> no, I hear you. I, you know, I know. But Bill, it's... Bill, can I assume that as a Northern California guy uh, that you're just happy when the Dodgers lose? <laughs> no, I'm actually, I like the Dodgers. He's <laughs> I lived in L.A. I start, you know, I lived, I have a, still a house in Northern California, but lived in L.A. for a while. I was a big Dodgers fan when I was there. Okay. Yeah. But. But I, it's hard not to like the Red Sox, too. <laughs> and they're one of those hateable teams in baseball, but they're pretty likable uh, this season. One other final story, by the way. Let's go to Canada, where a man has a pet husky who went across the line to his neighbor's yard and got his neighbor's dog pregnant. So that the neighbor, happens. It happens. Well, the neighbor was not happy about it. He took the man to court, and it turns out the man is liable to pay $800 for the uh, the vet services and the dog now, delivery, wait a minute. eight hundred bucks wait he's going to pay. But it seems to me the other dog was not very well protected, right? <laughs> if the dog could, oh, I'm shocked on. that there aren't protest marches about what's going on. Tell here. it to the judge. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump admits he has no proof, no proof whatsoever that there are criminals or terrorists in the caravan of immigrants heading toward uh, the southern border. But he says it could very well, might be. I think it might very well be. That's the extent of his proof. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's as close to the facts as we ever get from Donald Trump. It's the Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, October 24. Great to see you today. And uh, good to have you with us as we reach you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, and on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, with all the news of the day. And there's lots of it uh, on the Khashoggi front, on the midterm front, of course, 
and on the caravan front are keeping people like John Allen for NBC News, political reporter for NBC News, here as a friend of Bill today, keeping John Allen very busy. Uh, John, as we just said, you are on your way to Wisconsin. I saw yesterday the president has like 10 more rallies in the next 13 days. Yeah, something along those lines. They haven't announced all of them yet, so you have to wait until the White House announces them to figure out where they are, or sometimes they break in the local press. Uh, this will be Today will be my 15th rally this year. Get uh, out of president. here. Yeah. You are glutton for punishment. <laughs> well, I, Were you in I go where I'm sent. I did not go to Texas, but last week I was in Mesa, Arizona, and Missoula, Montana. And I would have been in Elko, Nevada if there was any way to get from Mesa, Arizona oh. to Elko, Nevada in time to... Uh, in time to uh, to be there because were, they had a night a day game following a night game basically. You were not invited to fly on Air Force One. I was not. Uh, what well, was for social? I was very curious a couple of nights ago to see uh, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump on the same stage because we remember what got pretty ugly between them in the primary. Uh, yes, sniveling uh, coward. Yeah, and uh, President Trump and his allies attacked Ted Cruz's wife, his father. Um, actually, just President Trump. I don't even know if it was his allies. Yeah. Att- basically said that Heidi Cruz was unattractive and that uh, that Ted Cruz's father killed Kennedy. Um, yeah. yeah. Just, you know, I, I don't that. think most people be- that I don't think stuff. most people believed either of those things. Um, uh, and certainly, they didn't think they were very nice things to say. Um, Ted Cruz responded uh, at the Republican convention by telling the delegates there to vote your conscience. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and at the what at the time looked like uh, an even bigger snub than the uh, Ted Kennedy Jimmy Carter and, snub. Yeah, and called him a pathological liar during the campaign, right? And yes. So now, now, uh, Lion Ted and pathological lion <laughs> Donald. I guess I don't know. That's the all right. So tonight he's going out to support um, Scott Walker. It must be because there's not really a competitive Senate race. Tammy Baldwin looks like she's in pretty good shape to win yeah, re-election. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you don't have uh, you don't have real competitive House races in Wisconsin. I don't believe this cycle. Uh, I'd have to double check that. But Scott Walker's the headliner. Okay. Now, if I have to go back, I mean, my memory is that Scott Walker was the first one to drop out of the 2016 primary. And Scott Walker, at one time, I think, put out the theory that if we're ever going to stop Donald Trump, and we have to, um, the rest of us have to drop out in behind, behind one guy. That's the only way we're going to stop him. I mean, he was clearly not a Trumper in the in the primary. Correct. Yeah. But Donald Trump has become the leader of the Republican Party, and with that uh, comes the uh, reconciliation uh, that is natural when everybody else in the party sucks up to you. <laughs> Which is the way it is right, right. now, but that does... I don't think Scott Walker said, called up and said, "Hey, Mr. President, um, you know, I still disagree with you on a great many things. Can you come out to Wisconsin?" Uh, Donald Trump's not going to places uh, where people have distanced themselves from him since his presidency began, or or in recent months. But He's he... also not going to competitive political turf. Well, I was going to ask you about where he, how he chooses where he's. Going. He doesn't seem to be going to any place other than places that he won, right? By and large, there are yeah. some exceptions to that. Um, but you know, if you look at the counties that he's gone to, uh, the two exceptions are um, when he was in Missoula, Montana. I sh- should be three exceptions: Missoula, Montana, uh, Olmstead County, um, uh, Minnesota. He's been to, and 
and Las Vegas, Nevada. He's been to so Clark mm-hmm. County. Yeah. Um, but all the rest of the places he's gone uh, on the campaign trail are counties that he won, and usually decisively. I mean, we're talking about an average of about twenty point win for Trump in the counties that he goes to. And I haven't looked at the county in Wisconsin he's going to be in today, but it's uh, the town is Mosiny, um, central Wisconsin. No doubt he won that. Are are these rallies rallies for the the candidates who are running in those states, or are they rallies for Donald Trump? They're rallies for Donald Trump with uh, increasingly mention of the candidates who uh, are running and some and oftentimes they get a they get the mic for a little while. So at the beginning <laughs> oh, it was God. like yeah, how hour we'll give you the mic for you got one minute. At the beginning it was purely for Trump with like a quick mention of a candidate. Now it seem they seem a little more uh, guided toward helping candidates, but they're still about keeping Donald Trump's base activated. And um, I'm always stunned by the size of the crowds and the enthusiasm of the crowds. So when you look at the people in those crowds, who are they? They're the they're the true Trumpers, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they're hardcore, and a lot of, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them travel. You talk a little bit them? like a Grateful Did Dead. You talk show. to them? Have you interviewed some of them? Uh, yeah, I've interviewed lots of people. Uh, <laughs> I've been r- running around the country with Trump uh, all over the place. You know, I, I, some but, of I mean, people... you have a chance to mingle with the crowd and talk to this. Yeah, especially there. outside the event. Um, inside oh. the event, it depends. Sometimes we're in, I mean, we're always in a pen. Yeah. Sometimes we're allowed to sort of wander freely and talk to people outside the pen. Sometimes we have to like kind of attract people to come talk mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. Um, at which point, it, it behooves you if you're a big TV uh, personality, not like me, because people will come up to argue with you and yeah. then ask yeah. you for a photograph. And in the middle of that, you can talk to them a little bit. But you say even, but so outside the event, but you talk to these people, they're true believers and they, a lot of them have had great sacrifice, right? And driven great long distances. Too. Yeah. And I mean, every one of these events, um, or all, I should say almost every one, uh, you have people that drive hours and hours and or hours. Is he bringing any new people or is this, this just his base? Oh, I don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to suggest that people aren't, uh, that these aren't fresh crowds, you know. I mean, there are some people that travel around. It's a very, yeah. I think, it's a small percentage. Uh, in terms of attracting new people with persuasion, I, I don't get any sense of that. I mean, the, the vast majority of the people that I've talked to have been people who uh, were with Trump from the beginning or at some point during the campaign and uh, have stuck with him. Uh, you know, occasionally you hear somebody say, "I was a little bit of skeptic when he, you know, I voted for him, but I wasn't sure what he's going to do, and now I love him." All right. And and the 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 one theme that we have heard the last couple of weeks, the last couple of rallies is I'm not sure I'll get it all straight but this this election is about caravan Kavanaugh law and order tax cuts maybe I'm missing and one. common sense oh that's that's it and common sense it was going to be alliterative it was uh, clearly it was going to be alliterative like Kavanaugh caravan common sense. And they're like, well, we got to get law and order or rule and law in there. And then was, uh, which, by the way, when he rolled it out, he had that in there. But I, I assume there was an attempt to make that alliterative since yeah. three of the things are. Um, and then they forgot ta- – he, he didn't do tax cuts. Uh, but somebody must have called the White House and said, you should put tax cuts in there. Right. Um, Lorraine uh, uh, Waller from uh, Politico is going to be joining us uh, at the half hour. We'll talk with her more about this tax cut thing. But um, – but clearly, um, so are these are, are these issues resonating with certainly with the crowd? Are they resonating <laughs> beyond the stadium? Um, I, I mean, I guess we'll find out 
a little bit in the midterm elections. Yeah, but um, you, you know, at NBC, you're always rolling out new polls. I mean, what are you what are you showing? I mean, now? the president's numbers have have ticked up a little bit lately. Uh, the last poll I saw had, had about forty seven percent approval rating, which is very high for him. Real Clear Politics average was forty five. Yeah, which is which, is, still, which is high for him. Yeah. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that that has more to do with the economy than any other particular issue. Um, you know, that I don't think it's about the caravan or Kavanaugh or any of that. I just think that, um, I, in fact, I'm shocked. 4.1% growth in the second quarter, record low unemployment um, in terms of the uh, African-American and Hispanic communities. I mean, not to do a, a commercial for the president, but the economy is doing really well. And I honestly would be a little worried if I were... Uh, running his reelection campaign, that I'm looking at a president who's got economic numbers like this, and is only at 47 mm-hmm. percent. And also the fact that, for the most part, he doesn't talk a lot about it. Right. I mean, right. Well, it he, gets he lost. Did a, he, did, he did a little thing about taking credit for the Dow going up, you know, for a while. But and he every once in a while he'll throw in a line about African unemployment, lowest ebb ever. But but he talks more about the caravan and Kavanaugh and this other crap than he does about the economy. He likes to be in the in the front of the news, and the, and the thing is, uh, economic numbers will be the headline news story for one day, and one day only. Every time there's some huge economic number, but they go away fast. It doesn't. It's not. It's not thrilling to him. It's not thrilling to other people, um, and so he doesn't spend a ton of time on it during his uh, during his rallies. And every time he talks about the stuff, it's the same same spiel he's not juicing it up to try to emphasize it i think because he he believes that people will tune him out mm-hmm. yeah uh, it is true it does get kind of boring uh and i mean i i remember trying to making the point with josh Ernest and others during on the, on the in the obama white house hey this, this recovery is going pretty well. The market keeps going. Well, why aren't you out there taking a victory lap? And their response always was, because we know that what goes up can come down, right? And uh, we want to be kind of careful there. I'm not sure that same reasoning goes with Donald Trump. I think Trump's uh, mantra, or maybe mantra is the wrong word, but I think his way of looking at this is you take credit for what you can take credit for while you can take credit for it. If it changes, you change the subject and take credit for something else, yeah. or you take credit for or, some some silver lining in the loss. Or you blame that, the loss, on somebody else. Too. Obstructionist Democrats. Yeah, right, exactly. You've been writing about uh, one other uh, little grenade that, uh, that Trump has lobbed into the mix, um, which is transgender Americans, which, why? I mean, where'd that come from? But all of a sudden, right, this is the new new cause of his, that you are what you are, what you are with the genitals you were born with at birth. Period. End of story. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Yeah, let's put it. Why? What? what what's the genesis of this? Well, I mean, I think it's uh, it's something that his base has, and certainly the religious conservative base has been concerned about for a long time. I mean, I talked to uh, a pastor, Franklin Radish from uh, South Carolina, who does a a Capitol Hill uh, Baptist ministry. And he uh, and he was saying, um, you know, that that the Democrats have forced this. His argument was, uh, you've seen this huge change in the LGBT community, specifically. He said, has sort of forced change um, and change in a way that is going to return America or turn America into Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and I think that that's not necessarily representative of everybody that wants to see this change, but. 
I think there has been, you know, you had the guidance from Obama about schools uh, before he left office where they basically told schools you need to have accommodations for mm-hmm. uh, for transgender students. <laughs> for the religious right, that has been an aberration and something to be fixed for a long time. So it's something that is, um, you know, as the president is trying to rally uh, rally his base and trying to rally religious conservatives. And he tries to, and by the way, we so sort of think of the base as monolithic, but it's monolithic in its support for Trump, but it's not that these are all the same person. I mean, it's it can be very right. easy to stereotype, but you've got yeah. religious conservatives that are with them and you've got nationalistic Republicans that are with them. I mean, you know, there's, there's a sort of different sets of, of people within that group. Do so you think this is a political... Um, issue or gift or whatever for the event for evangelicals. I think to, it to was try to help motivate them to for the midterms to get out and vote. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a policy issue that's being worked on uh, at several several departments uh, in the administration. The New York Times reported on it. I don't know who their sources are. Um, I do know that Democrats were quiet about it. I think they saw it as an attempt to distract them from talking about health care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know Nancy Pelosi, uh, her office pointed me to uh, an interview she'd given where she said her, and they said, look, you know, her response to this is the Equality Act, which would change the '64 Civil Rights Act to include uh, include gender protections and protections for uh, multiple multiple gender identities um, and sexualities. Uh, and Chuck Schumer. Um, after I asked his office, they tweeted a little while later. But there was it was very quiet and not. No, I think that yeah, I, I they're trying think, not to get distracted, and they, right. I think they, I think their view was this was probably something the administration had had put out to try to rile them up. They wanted Democrats to to to, to, to flip out this and to flip out. Yeah. Not well, I think smart. that's the way the Democrats perceived it. Again, I don't know who the New York Times sources are on this, so right. it's hard to. It's hard to uh, assign motive unless you know which side's doing it. You know which direction uh, Donald Trump is going to go in. Yesterday, um, he uh, came up with, well, it was a couple of nights ago. I think it was actually down in Texas again with a Ted Cruz rally uh, where he talked about and bragging about the fact that he was a nationalist. A globalist is a person that wants the globe to do well frankly, not caring about our country so much. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We can't have that. You know, they have a word. It sort of became old-fashioned. It's called a nationalist. And I say, really, we're not supposed to use that word. You know what I am? I'm a nationalist, okay? I'm a nationalist. (laughs) National. Nothing. Use that word. Use that word. Use that word. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's it. All your friends are applauding like mad, <laughs> John, with this nationalist. So in the Oval Office yesterday, reporters kind of pushed him a little bit. What the hell do you mean by that? He uh, doubles down, right? Uh, uh, if we can, P- Trump yesterday in the uh, in the Oval Office um, when he was pressed on it. Whoops. Call me a nationalist if you'd like. But I don't want companies leaving. I don't want them firing all their people, going to another country, making a product, sending it into our country tax-free, no charge, no tariff, no nothing. And in the meantime, we end up with empty plants, unemployment all over the place. We end up with nothing. Yeah. So 
nationalist. There's echoes of a white nationalist to it. I mean, it depends on who you are. Um, the White House says that, in fact, the president was asked about it yesterday. You know, the ne- never heard that theory. Uh, I asked somebody at the White House yesterday, they said, I said, does he think of himself as a white nationalist? And they said, of course not. Um, I also... Uh, Dance, it's dancing pretty close to it, using Well, look, I mean, phrase, the, his critics who think that he is, uh, is you know, sort of forwarding... Uh, nationalist and also uh i'm trying to think of the right word like sort of nativist policies Mm -hmm. uh they look at it and they say this really sounds like white nationalist he's just the white part is silent it's a little bit of a dog whistle but what's interesting is i spent a fair amount of time and i can't believe i'm about to admit this on the air (laughs) i spent a fair amount of time yesterday on the daily stormer and stormfront websites which are like white nationalist, neo-Nazi sort of websites. Peter Ogburn's the only other person I know that looks at the Daily Stormer Oh, website. come on! <laughs> Jesus! Well, I wasn't, I wasn't looking... Well, he's from South Carolina. I, you know? I, wasn't, I wasn't looking to, uh, to go to a meeting. Um, but, oh, oh. oh, man! I was... <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow! Uh, but, uh, but they interpreted it. Oh, I'll As bet. a dog whistle. Did they really? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. I think it was Daily were, Stormer had a headline about- I bet about, they were very happy with it. Yeah, Daily Stormer had a headline that said uh, national, you know, had the headline with the nationalist word, you know, that Trump had used on in, in Houston. And then under it, it said, he is our guy. That's it. That's it. They're looking for reasons to- Well, this is like, like after Charlottesville. Yeah. Remember, they came out and said, you know, we agree with everything you said, right? He didn't dump on us at all, right? This is our guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's uh, absolutely an interpretation. That says a lot. Now, intent, intent is very hard to to assign, right? Like, and so what the president framed it as is globalist versus nationalist. By the way, yeah. globalist, another word dripping with uh, potential, uh, potential subtext there. Um, but does subtext drip? I guess if your ink is running. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that, uh, I, you know, I talked to I talked to Professor Kevin Cruz, uh, Kevin M. Cruz at Princeton yesterday. He's an author who studied a lot of the stuff. And he was saying that um, that the president, that it would be reasonable to, to think that the president should understand how this resonates um, and that there are ways in which you could uh, use different rhetoric if you were not trying to uh, sort of code or dog whistle. Um, I can't get inside the president's head, um, but I. But like right. I said, the white nationalists took it as an affirmation. Right. I think uh, my own belief is, no way of proving this, that uh, he knows what he's doing and he knows the impact of those words and he's not just, it's not just accidentally that he's letting these, using this phrase and and doubling down on it. Well, he and said, you know, I mean, he said, I'm not get, supposed to say this, right? Right. But, though, that said, the term nationalist without the white nationalist part also has uh, strong historical echoes yes. that might make you not want to talk about it. So even if it wasn't yeah. about uh, racial Race. purity, the national identity, uh, those movements have often, uh, you know, resulted in... Uh, a lot of violence. Sure. Um, Anything goes for our nation, right? I mean, mm-hmm. under that umbrella. Uh, I do have to ask you this, too, that, um, um, and again, Lorraine Wallard from Politico joining us uh, shortly here for a second half hour together. 
To what extent, if any, do you think um, the Kavanaugh issue resonates in the midterms, or is it too long ago to to uh, have an outcome, uh, have an influence? I think it's marginally helpful to Republican Senate candidates in red states and states mm-hmm. that voted for Trump, um, but I think it's marginally unhelpful to Republican candidates in uh, swing suburban congressional districts. Um, I think that the idea that uh, somehow all of the uh, white, educated, wealthy suburban moms uh, decided because of the Kavanaugh hearings that he was being treated unfairly and that their sons were being treated unfairly uh, is paler or weaker than the idea that they are upset by this culture of um, you know, anything goes and the ends justify the means, right? So the president uh, said he didn't have any regrets about uh, mocking Christine Ford because Kavanaugh won. Yeah. I, I don't think that resonates well um, in some of these swing districts, particularly, um, you know, you get some, there's like four competitive house races in New Jersey, um, all sort of in that vein of suburban uh, educated elite. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons you've seen the the Senate moving more toward the Republicans, the House moving more toward the Democrats. The other reason, I think, is that people come home at the end of elections. And so it can be very easy to look at what just happened in the news and tie that directly to um, to the sort of hardening of the partisan stances. But I think we know from watching elections over time that people don't really pay attention until the end. And that's what moves people who say they're undecided into one camp or the other. They sort of revert to their tribe. You know, and in this day, in this news cycle, which is... Uh, 24 hours long at the best, right, before we're into a, like a whole new one. Six happened since I sat down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The idea that Kavanaugh will be like a month old two weeks from now, right, or or even longer. Yeah. The idea that that impact would still remain until November 6th. I think well, is- if the president's lucky, the court will come up, come up with some decision that uh, helps him like a couple of days before the election. He can go, Brett Kavanaugh did this for us. Yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> this is not the time of year they release their, as you know, release their opinions. That's in the spring. Um, to what extent, if any, will the Khashoggi incident uh, have any impact on the midterms? I don't think it has any impact on the midterms. I think that uh, most Americans uh, are unaware of it, I think, or, or at least not paying a lot of attention to it. Um, I don't think that I just I don't see that being something as the big motivating factor. Well, and yeah, it's a beltway story, but also this is something that happened in in Turkey involving the Saudi Arabians, and even though Khashoggi is a legal permanent resident of the U, or not permanent but a legal resident of the U.S., I I think that it's just too many steps from um, you know what's in my checking account right now to be like a big motivator for election day. Um, so that one of our I it doesn't mean, mean it's no, an unimportant story. No, 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 I hear you, but <laughs> just 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 to, to 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 kind of reflect on that means that one of our strongest allies can basically commit cold-blooded murder of a journalist, a person who was living in the United States of America, and most Americans don't give a damn. Yeah, I, I think if you ask them, they'd have an opinion on it. Yeah, I think a lot of them would say that's bad. But I don't think it's a motivator for the election. I don't think it's something that they're going to vote on. I also look. I mean, the the president of the United States is very slow to comment accurately on what went on there. Uh, it looked until yesterday. It looked like he was doing everything he could to help 
Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the, uh, who um, has been accused of orchestrating a, a hit squad to go dismember this guy, uh, Khashoggi. And um, then yesterday, he seemed it seemed to me like he was turning on the Crown Prince a little bit. Uh, and ultimately, he said that the Crown Prince assured him he wasn't involved with it. But the whole thing about how the cover-up was a disaster um, suggests to me that he has decided he, he can't hang out with the crown prince too much longer. As I said a little earlier, you know, for Donald Trump to say it was the worst cover-up ever, I mean, this is a man who knows about cover-ups, right? Well, it was a pretty bad cover-up. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think the president's wrong about that. No, I don't either. But I said he knows about cover-ups. This is a guy with the, the meeting at Trump Tower who wrote the memo to the New York Times saying, this is all about adoption. Hush payments to porn stars and... And and uh, and Playboy bunnies and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the president's been good at covering tracks. I mean, so much so that he's president of the United States. We still don't have his tax returns, right? So he should, but he, should, he probably called the crown prince and says, "Why didn't you ask me how to cover this up?" Right? Well, I, is it's are we clear that they that they didn't because no, I mean, no, no. no. <laughs> um, that conversation could have taken place. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. With John Allen staying with us uh, before he heads out to Wisconsin. We're going to run to the airport after this for the time being. He stays here as a friend of Bill, Lorraine Wallert from Politico, covers the White House for Politico. Joining us next here on the Bill Press Show with all of you. So stay tuned. Download our podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is the Bill Press Show. 13 days uh, before showdown. November 6th, uh, the midterm elections. Here we are with the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us today as we come to you live from our nation's capital, joining you wherever you are in this great land of ours, in fact, uh, around the globe, on uh, online, on YouTube, on youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, on uh, the great WCPT, joining on the radio out in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area, and on Free Speech TV. Uh, don't forget, get up to date and add your reasons for dumping Donald Trump by getting a copy of my latest book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and maybe one to keep him, although I'm less inclined to think there's any reason at all for keeping him. Uh, check out our website at BillPressShow.com to find out where you can get a copy of the book or your local independent bookstore or online uh, as well. Uh, covering the news of the day, particularly the political news of the day, with the help of uh, John Allen, a senior political reporter for NBC News, here in studio is a friend of Bill, Mr. Allen. Nice Sir. to see you. In between Trump rallies, he uh, comes by and says hello and brings us up to date. Uh, and joined now by Lorraine Wallert, who covers the White House and particularly the financial side of the political scene for the great Politico. Hello, Lorraine. Good morning, nice, Bill. Nice to see you. Like you have been talking about uh, the fact that there's a lot of... Uh, Money flooding into at, at one time the Democrats were like ahead in the fundraising, and now mm -hmm. suddenly there's been a, a Niagara of cash coming in from some of the big GOP mega donors. That's right, and they're you know we're going to have another report tomorrow out of the FEC, and we, we expect to see even more big money, like gigantic checks, being reported um, in the final days of the midterms. So it's, it's not over yet, and. Um, you know, a lot of the this is money going to PACs, right? Where it, there's unlimited money they can give. Yeah. So this year um, is breaking records so far. We expect it to be another record year um, for independent expenditures, which are, you know, ads and other sorts of mon uh, 
ads on online ads, text, that sort of thing being bought by groups that don't have to disclose where their money's coming from. So nonprofit groups, big trade associations, the Chamber of Commerce, um, you know, we don't know where they get their money. Um, they have to report how they spend some of it. And uh, this is going to be another record year uh, for that kind of spending. Is this Koch Brothers money or who are the people we're talking about? A lot of it. Uh, Sheldon Adelson is the biggest of these donors. On the Democratic side, Tom Steyer is huge. Um, So it's, you know, it's both sides of the equation. And we can talk a lot about the, the current narrative about small dollar donations coming into Act Blue and coming into Trump's PACs. But in fact, the big money is still there. And um, for all the dollars we see being reported um, by law, there's a lot of money being spent that we will never, we'll never know where the money came from. Are, are there more small dollar donations than like ever before? It's a big year, I think, for small dollar donations. But the fact is, they're still being swamped by these big, big donors. Right. I mean, if if you can write a ten million dollar check, that's a whole heck of a lot of small donors <laughs> yeah. uh, that you're that yeah. you're eclipsing. Um, you know. I think the we've seen also, though, on the small dollar front, that there are Democratic candidates across the country, House candidates in particular, who have been able to compete and even put a scare into their Republican opponents by doing the small dollar raising. Uh, some large dollar, but a lot of small dollar, too. I guess it's referred to sort of as the green wave, right? So you have all these f- candidates whose campaigns in most years wouldn't be funded well. Now they're having the money to run ads and stuff. Uh, the question is, will, will that make a difference? Right. And we'll be able to test that, I think, a little bit by how many of these candidates who are, you know, in, in races that lean Republican or are likely Republican that end up, uh, you know, being within the margin of error. Does does having that extra money help candidates that wouldn't well, otherwise Lorraine, have won? you mentioned uh, Act Blue, which is an incredible sort of, um, I, I don't know, network, right, where any any Democratic candidate in the country for any race, you can go to Act Blue and mm-hmm. send them money through mm-hmm. Act Blue. Mm-hmm. They'll get the money directly to their campaign. And Peter, you interviewed last weekend this group that another group which has a it's a different twist on this, which I think is is totally innovative and very effective. Yeah, you can check out the podcast. We put it up over the weekend. It was uh, with Sean McElwee from Data for Progress. Yeah. And one of the things that they're doing is People want to get involved. They want to give money, but they don't necessarily know where to give money. Where's the best? Which are the best races where they could have the most impact? Where so they're you, five or ten bucks. You give to this Data for Progress group, and their goal is to try and flip some state legislatures. And they're taking a look at the most vulnerable ones, the ones that, who need the most money, the ones that have been underfunded, and they're taking your money, and you're just sort of trusting them to put it where it needs to go. Yeah, well, it's like the that... Sheldon Adelson view of the world. Or the... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, right. I was mentioning, I know a lot of people, I'm sure you do too, I, I know the guy who helps Tom Steyer decide where he spends his money and where he spends his money. And I've known that for a lot of other very wealthy uh, contributors. For me, they all happen to be Democrats, right? They pay a lot of money to these consultants to say, which races should I support? Where can I do the most good? This organization does it for Average people, mm-hmm. right? right? But isn't that isn't that not that far off from what the party party committees do and the leadership committees? It's kind of it's not that different. It's just sort of le- not sanctioned necessarily by the problem. The party. Is it the feels people. more grassroots. It uh, feels more grassroots. It, uh, yeah, I think it is more <laughs> grassroots. I would say, and 
people don't trust the party committees say, anymore. For, for, well, for good reason. For, yeah, he, yeah. he, he well, got yeah. into a lot of this during the interview where he says that, like, a lot of Democrats, they look at what happened in 2016 and they realize that, like, a lot of times the party doesn't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I want to make a specific point about <laughs> about the parties, not the sort of broader point about people not trusting them. But the specific point is um, there are interests that a party committee might have that are not necessarily uh, the things that would guide the voter. For instance, if you're the National Republican Congressional Committee and Barbara Comstock outside the Washington area in Northern Virginia is in deep trouble, a lot of people think that race is over. Maybe she ends up winning. Uh, but the NRCC is going to have a hard time pulling away from her because she is uh, so well regarded in the party, because she's seen as a loyalist. She worked on Dan Burton's committee investigating the Clintons. It, it, they are hard pressed to pull out of that race, even though they're spending millions and millions of dollars there in a very expensive TV market that they could allocate somewhere else, maybe to two or three races. Yeah, right? good, good money after bad sort of thing. And then if you have somebody the, who's not thinking like institutionally, then, yeah, maybe you see money going to surprise sort of districts. And you have had uh, cases where uh, the party committees will will generally tend to go toward an establishment Democrat for all the reasons you should point out and others and, and not see somebody that maybe the demographics of the district have changed, the, the move that the district has changed, and it's time for some new blood. And they, they just don't see it. They mm-hmm. get caught up. Yeah. And they've been caught with their pants down in a couple of primaries uh, um, that we all but, talk about. But also to Peter's point, I mean, it, it is entirely possible. And, you know, we live in this sort of uh, Republican version of a democracy, meaning, you know, smaller Republican version of democracy. It's possible that there's wisdom in the masses. <laughs> you know, all these people look around and they see the candidates and they go, I want to give to this one or I think this one would be a great candidate. Maybe that person actually is a good candidate. <laughs> Um, you, know, you saw $38 million go to Beto O'Rourke in the last mm-hmm. quarter. $38 million. I mean, presidential candidates would kill for $38 million quarters. Yeah, um, you right. know, and so uh, not all of them. Some of them can do that. But, uh, right. you know, you yeah. look around and you're watching all the money flow, and I start thinking, like, what does 2020 look like? Right. Does Beto O'Rourke run for president if he loses by a few points? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I'll tell you that, one thing. If he wins, he runs for president for uh, sure. He'll, be in, oh, yeah. he'll never for make sure. it to the Senate. He'll just be in yeah. Iowa. <laughs> 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 like flying for the swearing in, that, that's it. But if he doesn't win, does that mean that money, like money obviously isn't enough, right, to, to tip the scales? Or, no, it means. There's diminishing marginal value for every dollar you spent after the amount, exact amount you needed to win. <laughs> and you don't ever know what that amount was. Right. It also <laughs> means that Texas is Texas, right? And and that's a but there is a big hill hill to climb. But I haven't given up on Beto O'Rourke for this this year at all. But if he does, if if everybody says yeah, but it's Texas, it's Texas. Lorraine makes such a a great point, which is uh, you can throw in tons of money and lose if you're not if you're not the right candidate for the state or for the district or whatever. So the green wave is interesting. Like I said, to, to see. How much closer that, how, you know, how many more races that makes competitive if it brings in people that might not otherwise have won. But really all you need, I've always believed, all you needed to do in politics was have enough money to get your message out effectively uh, and that everything else is burn. Um, and it can suggest that you're a good candidate if you're able to pull in money. Um, there is a theory out there that the candidate with the most money wins because there's such a, a strong association between those two things. But um but there's not necessarily causation there. 
this correlation. Uh, yeah, I mean correlation. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it's correlation. And then, um, but this is interesting because the watchdog groups, the good government groups, will say that uh, you know a, a lot of this dark money this year is flowing into the tightest races, as you know, is typical. Um, but you know, if there's only so much airtime and internet time that that money can buy. You know, they're saying that they're more influential than ever because the money, the dark money, is concentrated in so few areas. But if there's only, only so much space and only only so many hours a day a voter can hear a message. If I were a know. candidate right now, like my closing ad would be, you've heard a lot of really awful things about me and my opponent. Here's 30 seconds of puppies playing. And then you just do the 30 seconds of pup- <laughs> puppies playing. Like you deserve a break because I think voters are just like – just so sick of it, so turned off by like just the constant, you know, drumbeat of like how awful the other person is. Of course, they get excited about how awful the other person is and decide to vote on that. But I think they're also turned off by it. And I think candidates that start putting out ads that don't do that so much may may someday well, benefit. You from know, it. puppies yeah. and humor get you earned media, which is you know, <laughs> you maximize your return. Right. I mean, that would be I all over national great, television yeah, if you did that. Ad. Exactly. Right. I don't know whether you've uh, had the uh, great opportunity that John has had to go to any of the uh, Trump rallies. You've been to 15 this year? This, this will be my 15th this year. Wow. Yeah, not lately. The last one I was at was the day that um, I think Manafort pled guilty or reached a plea deal. Yeah, that was a fun night. <laughs> I was in the Trump yeah. bubble. With Donald Trump trying to talk any, about anything but that. Yeah, that... coal is good. Right. Mm-hmm. But so he's got. Uh, I heard last night uh, ten. I don't think it's been confirmed. Ten more that they've that they've scheduled between now and the end. This is this is no more briefings, no more nothing. This is it, right between right. now and November six. That's right. That's right. Um, and um, you know, we we have somebody on the road right now who's who was on the road a couple of years ago, and he's um, comparing the old rallies versus the new rallies. Is there any difference? Uh, it's, Do you see any? Well, let me... I haven't... Yeah, you. I, I, I watched them on TV. Um, I watched, like I think, six or eight, like, last week. I don't remember. But um, it, it seems like they've gotten a little bit even more um, sort of off, I don't know, off the rails or random, maybe, is the word. I don't... You know, what do you see, John? Um, it looks like the same playbook. Maybe yeah. maybe a yeah, couple of different but, issues, but not even that. I don't think they're terribly different. Uh, I didn't go to the the sixteen rallies, the twenty sixteen campaign rallies. I wasn't covering them that I wasn't covering that campaign that closely. Um, but what I can tell you over the time that I've been doing it this year, uh, there's been some evolution, and I I really think that the president was trying to make news at each of these stops uh, for most of, for most of the time that he's been doing this. And now he's not trying to make news. I think there's a real difference in uh, – it doesn't mean he hasn't done it. I mean he said I'm a nationalist. I'm sure he knew that that was going to be a, something that would, people would pick up on. But I've gone to several of these that were that there's just nothing there. But so then do and, they move – does he move the needle then? I mean if he's just talking to the people who are already believers – you know, does he make a difference? I mean, he can. Well, look, I, there's word of mouth, right? So people say, "Hey, I went to the Trump rally. Like, he sounded great. Like, let's you know, remember to go out and vote or whatever." Uh, I think it has some some marginal impact. I don't think he's persuading anyone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think he may be help helping activate some people, but he's not persuading. Will anyone. there ever be a factor called Trump fatigue? 
Well, I don't know, Bill. Do you feel Trump fatigue? Depends on who you are. I've felt it for a long time. But will the American people ever feel, will the media ever feel Trump fatigue? I mean, to a certain extent, maybe, because the rallies are no longer covered wall to wall by by cable news. Fox is not airing all of the rallies anymore. That's because the ratings are worse than Tucker Carlson or you know Martha McCallum or whoever well, else. Well, that's part that of Trump fatigue. Yeah, uh, and I, again, Maybe. I mean, he's not. The bar for him to make news is higher. Right. You say things that are that are so sort of up here uh, for the yeah. radio listeners. I put my hand way Outrageous. above my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> remember that Dennis Kucinich once tried to show people a graph on the radio. <laughs> Pie chart or something. I do it. I do it all the time. So, <laughs> okay. John just sat up here and he had his hand right up here. That's right. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, what more outrageous things can he say than that he's already said? Than he's already said, right? It gets harder. We'll find out. I mean, the, hey, I was going to say, I, I don't doubt him at all that he will say something that will shock I us. Mean, he's been he had been honing the uh, illegal immigration argument for quite a while and then in Mesa, Arizona, he sort of put it all together in a way that I thought was uh, pretty bold, which was Democrats are funding Middle Easterners to get in inside the Honduran uh, caravan mm-hmm. up to the United States and they're coming because they want uh, health and education benefits uh, and uh, also to get the cars that the Democrats are going to well, give yeah, them give and the cars aren't good enough, they're going to give them Rolls Royces. I, you know, Maybe. I, that's some Alex Jones level stuff, right? Like, I mean, the, 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 in terms of the conspiracy theory that goes on there, that's that's to say that the president, all of his theories or whatever are, I mean, they're very different people, but, you know, that's a crazy theory. But I must admit, my all the time, my entire career that I've been involved in either politics or the media or both, I have heard wacko conspiracy theories like that, you know, all along in California. And, and But the difference is, this is the president of the United States that's spouting them today. That's what I still have a hard time accepting. Or Look, my, my background is, you know, financial services and business. And so did, I have to draw attention to Kevin Hassett's um, report yesterday, the Council of Economic Advisors, basically the top economist for the administration, Put out a big paper saying talking about socialism and equating Elizabeth Warren to Lenin and Marx and and basically warning people off of Democrats because they advance a socialist agenda. Now, OK, that's fine for a campaign tool, but coming from the top economist, it's basically the of the country, you, pay for, you is, paid for that and you paid just, for it and I paid for it. it it's just, you know, to, to sort of the state like Wall Street types, this is a bit shocking. Um, and so it's just another part and parcel of, of what we're talking about on the stump. I didn't see that. It has so, nothing to do with any actual public policy that's going no. on. No. 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 Since or Elizabeth anything. Warren doesn't but, have But it is taking aim at a democratic message. It was designed to take aim at the Medicare for all message. And, um, you know, um, Kamala Harris and some other people are talking about uh, universal income, which is really at this stage really pie in the sky. It's sort of just sort of a conceptual economic theory. Um, but here comes the White House's top economist saying, whoa, we're going to talk about Marx and Lenin in 2018. Um, the White House, or I'm sorry, the Washington Post the other day um, summarized, they said that basically the the Trump campaign or the Republican campaign led by Donald Trump, it's really the Trump campaign for 2018. The whole message is 
falsehoods, fear and falsehoods. Right. Kind of summing it up. That's mm-hmm. pretty accurate, isn't it? From what you've heard and what you've yeah, what yeah, you've yeah. Seen. fear is definitely. I mean, in, uh, in early September, caravan. I wrote a piece. Uh, it was headlined "Fear and Loathing on the Trump Campaign Trail." I mean, it's that yeah. <laughs> you're ahead of ahead of your time. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. That's that is his major uh, major weapon uh, in these midterms, and I, you know, I, mean, I think it's been his major weapon all along. Uh, to be fair, the campaign that was run against him at the in 2016, the last couple months of it were nothing but fear uh, and uh, trying. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard that it wasn't safe to put uh, Donald Trump with his finger near the nuclear button. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't hear that as much now. It's mm-hmm. still true, uh, particularly this week after he said he's going to dump the uh, INF treaty. But um, but I don't mean to go off on a tangent. Uh, but the question <laughs> is whether the and the caravan is the principal vehicle of the fear, right? I mean, today, today, mm-hmm. that's well that's done. Right. That metaphor, the caravan is a vehicle of fear. fear. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, well I didn't done. even realize. <laughs> <laughs> but does that does the fear message is that enough to turn moderate Republicans in some of these districts? Some places, you know, like some INF places, is a good example. You know. Yeah, I, I, I think some people will listen to that and mm-hmm. be, you know, sort of pulled in a direction because it, there's a physical example of a large set of people trying to come into the country. It's not like they're thinking like two or three people or 12 people in a van or whatever you're talking about. You know, I'd seen numbers of like three to 4,000 when I turned mm-hmm. on Fox, it's more like 7,000. I don't know if there yeah. are people like being attracted and it's growing or. Well, the LA Times reported, I think the LA Times reported 7,000. I think that's actually somewhere in the range of legitimacy. Um, I guess what I was saying, was suggesting is that, is is the fear message um, enough to turn off Republicans, turn Republicans against, Republican voters, you know, against say, I've had enough, I know this is crazy, you know, I'm not, I'm- I do so, think there's so a- sort of backfiring. Yeah, what yeah. You're I do think there's a breaking point for voters, and look, my view of politics, generally speaking, is that the side with the most desperate message is the yeah. one that's most desperate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the question is, at what point do voters say these guys are just de- desperate and ridiculous? And I'm not I'm not sure they're there yet, but but maybe some of them are. Let me just um, just a couple of minutes left. I can't let you go without uh, John uh, is co-author of the best book on the uh, 2016 campaign, 2016 campaign shattered. Uh, still recommend it. Uh, and so. We can't help but talk a, bit, a little bit about 2020 because candidates have not wait, are not waiting until after the midterms to go out there and talk about 2020. Donald Trump, the most obvious one. But Elizabeth Warren, for example, made her great big move. Did she, in fact, kill her chances with this whole Native American thing? What's your... I was, both of you. I audience was, poll, audience uh, poll. <laughs> yeah. I was drinking heavily with a Democratic operative who's working on some campaigns this year. And he was, I'm going to do, he, my head is in my hands and I'm shaking my head. It, he was appalled and he was, he was so. Why did she do it? And the timing certainly was not the best. I think uh, she wanted to get it behind her. I think the idea was to get it behind her before the midterm so that she could have a clean slate to go in. But, I, you know, look, Bill, the people that are most upset about this, like Republicans are upset sort of in a faux way, right? Like they're like, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they couldn't be happier. Um, but they look at it and they say, look, affirmative action is a bad policy and look how easy it is to take advantage. And by the way, she was lying about it. The people who are most offended by this are people who believe in affirmative action because they're like, 
Elizabeth Warren didn't need affirmative action. She perpetrated some some level right. of fraud, and that hurts affirmative action. Um, and so uh, this is problematic for her with groups that she would have, uh, you know, white liberals and uh, African Americans, obviously Native Americans, yeah, Hispanics. We're this in the middle of the problem. Supreme Court case yeah. with Harvard. This is like the timing couldn't be worse. Here right. we are 13 days away. Why are we talking about Elizabeth Warren? Uh, no, exactly. Um, but it's said, a long cycle, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was on also an article in The Hill, I think it was this week, that said that um, uh, there are several uh, Bernie staffers, former Bernie staffers, who are standing up saying, you know, um, Bernie had his moment, and that was great, and he made a great influence, but he should not be running this time around. Yeah, I don't, do you think he, I don't, I don't think he serious, amounts a serious campaign. Then again. Uh, you know, I, I would I can't speak for the senator. Uh, I think there are people in his orbit who don't want him to run, but I think there are people in his orbit who do want him to run. Uh, I think he liked being on the campaign trail. I think he thinks he barely missed out. And I think he's running. Me too. He's in California, I think, the next couple of days for some congressional races there. And uh, he's definitely, definitely moving around the country. And we just got just scratched the surface, but we're out of time. Hey, Lorraine, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Politico.com and NBCNews.com, the great John Allen. Have a great day, folks.